fans, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a college coach, a high school coach, a JV coach, a B-team coach, or even if they're just nicknamed the captain. Just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game. That's right, Chris de Blasio. Truer words have never been spoken. We have a captain. This is, you know, we, we every guest that we have on the greatest games, Chris de Blasio, you know, they are a special guest. But this is uh, one of one of the most special that we've had here uh, as we're creeping towards episode 100. We have the man that is known widely as the face of Columbia, South Carolina basketball, maybe dare I say the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina basketball, maybe even South Carolina basketball as a whole, but he's on the board of the Chick-fil-A class that he, he is the organizer of the SC Pro-Am, the organizer of the MLK Bash at Eau Claire every year. The former head coach at Allen University and a former head coach at C.A. Johnson. He played for Steve Newton and Eddie Foger at the University of South Carolina, and he is the captain Kerry Rich, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, Kerry. Hey, man. Uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for allowing me to be a part of it, especially after I've heard uh, the number of great guests uh, that have been on here. And uh, after that introduction, I mean, I don't know whether I can follow that up or not. <laughs> Some people think Derek Jeter's the captain, but Brian, Kerry was the captain before Derek Jeter was even a member of the New York Yankees. So that's right. He's that's the original right. captain. <laughs> And wait, Brian, you forgot one of Carrie's great. Uh, um, it's easy to forget. Please, please. Carrie Rich had the pleasure of co-hosting a radio show, or I believe he still does radio shows, but he had yours truly, Chris mm -hmm. de Blasio, as a semi-regular guest well, on a sports talk radio show in the Midlands some time ago. Yes, yeah, so we were lucky to have Chris, or a.k.a. Blas, <laughs> uh, come and be a part of the show on a regular, on a weekly basis. And uh, uh, just his uh, rich history uh, uh, with the, uh, the different programs and the, uh, the different achievements and so many other, other things that are part of uh, basketball history. And he was able to uh, just total, totally recall everything that we talked about regarding. And it didn't, it didn't matter where the program was, what conference we were talking about. Uh, he was well-versed, and um, it made for a very, very fun two hours every week uh, when he was uh, fortunate enough to uh, grace us with his presence. Well, it was a lot of fun, and I love doing it. 
with you and uh, Eric, and it was it was always a good time. We had some great callers, some great guests. Uh, Carrie, usually we kind of have our guests run through their, their resume, but we kind of did it for you there. Um, I did, did some prep work on you earlier today, but what is it about basketball? I'm going to start off with a very wide netted question. What is it about basketball? What hooked you? What did you love about it? What do you still love about it? Why do you stay involved in the game so much? Well, the game of basketball has been so, so good uh, to me. Uh, a kid from inner city Columbia, single parent, had me when she was 16 years old, worked as a waitress, and um, I started playing basketball at nine years old and quickly realized at the age of about 12 or 13 that I was a little bit different uh, from my peers that I played against. And right at about the age of 14, 15, I started living the game of basketball. I like to uh, often, uh, often talk about the three stages to sports. You like it, you love it, you live it. And when you live it, everything that you're doing, whether it's between the lines or outside of those lines, is all about becoming a better player. And I started doing that at the age of 15 and was fortunate enough to have enough success, uh, kind of create and carve out some relevance. Uh, in my opinion, which was the toughest and best era of basketball in South Carolina, I was able to carve out some relevance from a school that was non-traditional uh, when it came to players coming out of that, uh, that program and going on to play high-level basketball. So I was able to carve out some relevance and uh, kind of create a niche and you know the rest is history. And uh, I poured everything into the game that I had um, uh, still to this day because of that, the game has created so many opportunities It created a platform. Uh, you talked about me doing radio here in South Carolina. Uh, I think we all know that South Carolina is a football first uh, state, uh, but I'm also stubborn enough to um, admit that you know, basketball also has its place in South Carolina. And um, I'm probably the only guy in the state of South Carolina that is on mainstream media with a with a basketball background. You know, most people that are in mainstream media here in South Carolina, uh, especially if you're a former a student athlete, you probably have a background or acumen that's uh, that's filled with football. And that's not the case with me. So, you know, I gave absolutely everything to the game uh, I had and the game in turn has rewarded me with so many different things, uh, access, platform, relationships. And I'm very, very passionate about it. Uh, very anal when it comes to the game of basketball. And uh, uh, I can't see myself ever detaching from it. Well, you, you talk about, and this has come up a lot on, on the podcast about South Carolina being, like you say, a football first state and, you know, been chomping at the bit to, to get you on to, to really educate all of our, me included, all of our listeners about how good South Carolina basketball is, how good it's been lately but how good it's been just for a long, long, long time. And like you say, that you were able to carve out a place in that history of basketball in South Carolina being very, very good. So just tell us, tell our listeners about, just if you can give a 30,000-foot view of South Carolina basketball and how good it's been and, and really the direction that it's really going now. Yeah, South Carolina, uh, of course, uh, as I alluded to a few moments ago, is known as a football state. And I think – uh, it is so easy for basketball and the talent that we've had in the state to get lost. Uh, now, because of what we've recently seen 
uh, with John Morant and Zion Williamson uh, getting drafted um, first and second overall, uh, I think it might have it might have um, gotten attention of the entire basketball world. And I don't think anybody could have predicted those guys going one and two. I saw both of them when they were, I saw Zion as an eighth grader. I uh, knew he was going to be good, could not have predicted he would be that good. Uh, I remember John Morant as a junior um, uh, at Crestwood. I don't think he had a Division One scholarship offer. He was bouncy, athletic, but he always played with a chip on his shoulder. And, you know, we all saw how both of those guys morphed into um, these unbelievable talents that we're now watching in the NBA as, you know, faces of the NBA. But even before that, uh, you go back to the Alex English and um, what commodity he was um, in the NBA, uh, scoring the basketball, Hall of Famer. You know, right after that, you had two guys on the same high school basketball team in Xavier McDaniel and Tyrone Corbin, who played for the legendary late Carl Williams. Xavier McDaniel uh, played at Wichita State, where he led the country in rebounding and scoring, was the first collegiate player to ever do that. Guess where he's from? Columbia, South Carolina. I remember watching Tyrone Corbin play for DePaul, the late great Al McGuire, uh, while watching him on Saturdays would often refer to Ty Corbin as the best conditioned athlete in college basketball. You fast forward and um, we have a gentleman by the name of, of, of Rodney Taylor who uh, ended up playing at Villanova out of AC Floor High School. And uh, the big story was uh, Roland Massimino, he was the head coach, um, going to visit Rodney while, while he was at school. Uh, he drove up in the big black stretch limousine uh, just to impress everybody, uh, the spectators and the onlookers. And it was a really, really big deal. Fast forward uh, from Rodney Taylor to the Eau Claire uh, era where you had Barry Manning, uh, the prestigious beach ball classic when Eau Claire went down there and shocked the entire country by upsetting Archbishop Malloy, led by Kenny Anderson. Barry Manning and Eau Claire not only um, upset him, but Barry Manning was the tournament MVP. He was a slam dunk champion, and you know he became a nationally known commodity where uh, he chose South Carolina over the uh, UNLV, Georgetown, North Carolina, and you know, if you know how good Georgetown and UNLV were back in the day, kind of gives you an appreciation of what type of uh, commodity he was. Fast forward right after that year, um, 1987 National AAU Championship led by Stanley Roberts, Jojo English, Joe Rett. Uh, Stanley Roberts was the consensus number two, number three prospect in the country. In my opinion, still the single player in the history of South Carolina, that if he signs with the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, he changes every dynamic associated with the history and tradition. He was that good. He was the most unstoppable force I've ever seen come through South Carolina. And I've seen the Zion Williamson's, the John Morant's, the Kevin Garnett's, the Ray Allen's, uh, Jermaine O'Neal's. I've seen all of them up close and personal. Stanley Roberts was the most unstoppable force. And, you know, right after that, um, uh, you have the Eau Claire and Laura Richland rivalry where um, uh, they sold out the Carolina Coliseum four, four consecutive times, uh, 12,000. That was unheard of in the state of South Carolina. Remember now, this is a football state. So that's why I've, I've always been very stubborn 
when listening and hearing people talk about this is a football state. Yeah, I get it. But I've also witnessed a high school game selling out the Carolina Coliseum four consecutive times more than 12000 So that kind of defies that myth and dispels that notion just a little bit. And, you know, on to, you know, the Ray Allen's, uh, the Kevin Garnett's. Uh, people forget that Kevin Garnett started out in Malden High School. I remember playing pickup basketball while I was at South Carolina. And uh, one of my good friends who was a local AAU coach um, brought Kevin Garnett, a guy by the name of Marcus Saxon that had a terrific career. Utah State signed with Arkansas. He was a part of the, the best uh, junior college backcourt in the country down at Chipotle Junior College along with Jesse Pate. He signed with Arkansas. Things didn't work out. He ended up going to Utah State. And it was Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Marcus Saxon. And uh, my guy kind of took him on a tour around South Carolina playing at all the local gyms. And, you know, Kevin Garnett played his junior year at Malden before transferring out. Of course, Ray Allen uh, played at Hillcrest. Those guys were all NBA guys. And, you know, Jermaine O'Neal was um, in that era of, of – of going from high school straight to the NBA right after Kevin Garnett and fast forward. And, you know, the BJ Mack is, you know, of the world. And uh, then we get to Zion Williamson and, and um, you know, we missed the buddy Harper's that signed to play at Cincinnati out of Keenan high school. Just so many great players that have come, but because this is a football state, it is so easy for people not to appreciate the basketball talent uh, that's been here. And even with the players that I've just named, uh, there were still a lot of players that, that I didn't mention, like the, the Eric Sullivan's of Hillcrest that went and start for Louisville, started four years. Um, you know, the Marvin Oranges that played and started at point guard for Alabama, uh, along with Antonio McDyess, James Caffey, uh, 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 Jason Caffey. Jason Caffey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jason Caffey, uh, uh, James Hollywood Robinson, Eric Washington, um, Roy Rogers. He was a star point guard on that team. So I could go on and on, but um, as you can see, I, uh, I I take this thing very, very seriously when it comes to the pride that I share in South Carolina basketball. Well, Carrie, first of all, if anyone was playing a, a noise meter, your your volume, your intensity just went up there as you started naming all those players. I wrote down a bunch of players before this to make sure I didn't miss anybody. And you mentioned, you know, I had Alex sort of as like the godfather of overall of it, you know, the NBA Hall of Famer, scoring champ, all that. And then the 80s, like you said, you, uh, Stanley Roberts, Ty Horbin, Xavier, JoJo in the 90s, Jermaine, KG, Ray Allen. And of course, at South Carolina, you had three South Carolina kids in Melvin, Larry and BJ who were from all different parts of South Carolina, but all great players. Um, in the 2000s, uh, Devin Downey and Carlos Powell, who started at the University of South Carolina, you had a bunch of guys down at the beach that were really good. And Raymond Felton, Ramon Sessions, and Chris Middleton, who, have, who all went on to long NBA careers, right? And, yes. then, even, and then even P.J. Dozier and Sundarius Thornwell, most, re most recently from South Carolina, who both got drafted and gone on to the NBA after leading South Carolina to the Final Four. So it's rich, it's long, it's storied. I'm with you. I'm all in. And you mentioned the great Carl Williams. You talked about Eau Claire, but you didn't mention one of Brian and I's favorite people, and I'm sure one of your favorite people, and that is the great George Glimpf, the, co the longtime coach at Eau Claire High School. Yes, and I apologize for not mentioning uh, Coach George Glimpf. He's a godfather. Uh, he's synonymous. You don't talk South Carolina basketball. You don't talk Columbia basketball without mentioning uh, George Glimp. And I was just, 
having a conversation with a really good friend earlier. And we were talking about how when you came through in the 80s and 90s, whether you played for Eau Claire or not, Coach Glint was going to have a say in your recruitment. <laughs> and he was just that powerful. And anybody that was recruited in Columbia or recruited in South Carolina, that college coach, because George Glimp and Carl Williams were nationally known, uh, those college coaches were going to call to get George Glimp's endorsement. And he had his hand in on everything that happened in uh, in basketball, whether you're talking Columbia, whether you're talking South Carolina. And, uh, you know, for someone that, you know, because he coached Eau Claire High School, he, he also impacted so many other players because he coached that national AAU team that, that won the national championship. So, uh, yes, I apologize for not mentioning Coach George Glenn, but then, of course, he went on and, you know, he was one of the first coaches to, you know, kind of have that position created for them in the NBA. Uh, because his star, his star player, Jermaine O'Neal, got drafted by the Portland Trailblazers. And, um, you know, because of some, you know, Jermaine was still young. Uh, Coach Glimp was so good at what he did. Uh, Coach Glimp likes to uh, make fun of it uh, by saying he was the first professional babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, he started a trend. We started seeing a lot more high school coaches get jobs in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Coach Glimp was a pioneer with that went on to coach with the uh, Portland Trailblazers, um, the Indiana Pacers and the New York Knicks. And he's, he's a, uh, you know, he's one of those uh, cliche phrases, but as great a basketball coach as he was and is, he's 10 times a better human being. Yes. That is what, you know, I think in sports, you talk about the relationships that are garnered. You talk about, uh, the, the gaps that are bridged through those relationships and just through the access. Uh, but uh, just like you were a part of uh, my radio show that I did here in Columbia, uh, so was Coach Glimp. And I tell you what I was so enamored by. Um, it, it, it didn't matter your age. It didn't matter your race. It didn't matter your gender. Like everybody reacted the same to Coach Glimp when they called in just to have conversation with them. And that right there alone speaks to the impact that he had on so many different people. And, you know, when you're, uh, when you're able to impact uh, folks outside of the sports boundaries, it, it tells you and it gives all of us an idea of what type of person we're dealing with. And I think Coach George Glimp epitomized just that. I think as a, uh, as a younger person, as I continue to, to get a little bit older and, you know, sports will always be a big, big part of, part of my life but just watching how he impacted everybody that he came in touch with he's certainly someone that I wanted to emulate as someone that I continue to try to emulate I think maybe Blas we might need to do an episode on George Glimp of appreciation and this may be turning into that a little bit which is great totally fine by me you know for me like I as a up-and-coming coach and a, a guy that was working on my craft. I was working camps in the summer, and anytime George Glimp was around, I was taking notes like I was that kid, you know, trying to take notes and uh, do KYP, know your personnel, all those acronyms, everything that he was throwing out there. I was trying to remember them and learn them and all that. And then for his grandson to come to Ridgeview and then for him to just offer to say, hey, I can help out. Yes, please. <laughs> so to be able to have him in the gym for JV boys practices, this is one thing I want, you know, we're doing a great 
job of talking about coach, but I think sometimes folks will listen to an episode or listen to a, a piece of content and say, all right, that guy just had really good players, whatever. He went on to the NBA. No, this guy could run a practice with no whistle, no whistle and have the entire gym. Anybody even walking in the gym have their attention just because he was so knowledgeable, su- such a presence, and still is such a presence. Even what it, it's, it's unbelievable what, what Coach Glimpf has been able to do. And thinking about South Carolina basketball, all these names that we've written and we've talked about and that we are going to write and put in the show notes, how many of these guys that he has touched either directly or indirectly, like you're talking about, just I could go on and on about Jordan Glimpf. He's just one of the all-time greats, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk about him running a practice. He often tells me tells a story about when he first got with the New York Knicks um, and how Isaiah Thomas, who's, who was the coach then, uh, would marvel at how he could run a practice. So Coach Thomas actually turned over practice to Coach Glimp because he was so good at running a practice. He was a uh, very punctual. Um, you know, timeliness was key. He's a math guy, so he's a numbers guy. So everything has to fit perfectly for him. And he was so, so good at that. And, you know, another story we have, uh, when it comes to Coach Glimp, you talk about all of those great players that have come through South Carolina, and he was coaching. He always coached the number one AAU team, uh, sponsored by Chick-fil-A, uh, Don Ball, who now is a major contributor for the Chick-fil-A Classic here in Columbia every year. Um, and Coach Glimp had a rule, and it didn't matter uh, who you were, how big your name was, what program you came from. It was an unwritten rule that when you walked into his gym, during the summer, you better remove your hat. You cannot come into the gym with a hat on. And, you know, that doesn't, it may not ring loudly with some folks, but just the respect that he garnered, uh, the respect that he had, uh, folks quickly got in line and that expectation was there for anyone that was going to come into the rock pit. Carrie, my mom never let me wear a hat inside the house. I still don't wear hats inside to this day because of it. So. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we can go on with Coach Glimp stories. And, and like as Brian said, he would come to JV practice and I was helping Brian work those times and, you know, just to see him operate. It's funny you said he was a math guy, so everything was timed and punctual. You, you played for another math guy at South Carolina who was very much the same way in Eddie Fogler who was everything was timed and on time. And those math guys, man, they don't mess around when it comes to numbers. You are absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll tell you, um, coach Fogel and I, uh, of course I was this two-time captain back in the early nineties. And um, we grew to have a great, great relationship. He treated me more than just uh, the point guard. He treated me more than just the captain. Um, I was involved with everything. Uh, when, he needed to discipline the player. Uh, Carrie Rich was a part of that conversation. He wanted my input. Uh, when we were traveling, um, whether we were eating at particular restaurants, whether we were going to wear certain uniforms, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Um, he and I shared a great, great relationship, and still 25, 30 years later, uh, he remains the most influential male figure in my life. We still are very, very close. And when it's time to go to lunch or time to go to dinner with him right now, I wish you guys could see how quickly I'm trying to get there so that I'm not late. <laughs> and, and even if I am late, 
I'm texting him to let him know, hey, coach, I'm about three or four minutes late, but I'm right around the corner. <laughs> but he was a numbers guy. He was a percentage guy. Uh, still to this day, I, and I, I, as part of uh, game planning and, and scout report, um, I know that as a team, offensively, we always aim to shoot 45 cent, 45% or better. Uh, I still remember that the team that has uh, 12 or more turnovers probably will be the team that lose the game. Um, uh, I know that as a team, you're aiming to shoot 35 to 40% from the three-point line. Um, as a team, you're aiming to shoot 75% from the free throw line. Just those numbers still ring loudly in my head right now when you talk about Coach Fogel, who's a who's a numbers guy, man, and he he didn't deviate from that. No, he did not. He did not deviate from a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> Carrie, so we kind of talked about you early on, uh, or before we were on the air. You were talking about how you did coach, and now you got out of coaching, but you're still heavily involved with the game with all the things that Brian said at the intro with the, with the program and with the MLK bash and the Chick-fil-A and uh, where do you see, and this may be the toughest question you've ever gotten, especially spontaneously. Where do you see the relationship between AAU and high school basketball and, and how it's changed over time and where it's going and if that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, the relationship isn't ideal, and uh, I could very easily, uh, like a lot of people uh, like to suggest, uh, uh, by painting AU with one brush and saying all of it is bad. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I don't think all of it is bad. I think uh, just like every other entity, you have a few bad apples uh, that make it bad for everybody. Uh, but uh, it, it is not ideal, and the biggest difference is you know, 20, 30 years ago, the reason there wasn't a gap between AAU and high school basketball coaches is because the high school coaches were also the AAU coaches. The high school coaches were also the AAU coaches. Coach Glimp was a high school coach. Carl Williams was a high school coach. Zach Norris was a high school coach. Um, somewhere along the line, um, a lot of folks who, and this is not to suggest that to be a good AAU coach, you have to be a high school coach. Uh, not suggesting that at all, uh, but uh, somewhere along that path, uh, a lot of guys who um, did not coach high school basketball, a lot of guys that didn't even play high school basketball, they're now in position to coach uh, young men, and not only coach young men, but you know have influence and uh, have too much influence in, in some cases. And, and here's the thing that I have a problem with. And again, it's not all AAU coaches, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of the coaches who didn't play are living their dreams vicariously through the AAU players and the AAU teams. And what I mean by that is uh, when they're coaching the game and they see the Calipari's uh, the the Roy Williams and the Mike Shashevskis and some of those big name coaches in the gym, uh, they're probably more excited than the kid itself. So now, unfortunately, that coach, that AAU coach, becomes a part of the equation, and that AAU coach should never ever be a part of the equation, only to help guide that prospect and his family through the process, so that uh, that young man and his family are well versed when it comes to you know, making a sound decision. Here's the problem. Well, most of them can't help with that because they've never been through it. 
They don't they don't know what a college practice is like. <laughs> yeah, they've gone, you know, coaches invite them to come watch a practice, but they don't know what a college practice is like. They don't know what it's like to be in the huddle. They don't know how difficult it's going to be for first-year guys where the first thing they have to do is check their resume at the door because nobody cares what you did in high school. What are you going to do to impact these folks in the locker room? And with that being said, more times than not, those first three, four, five weeks are going to be really, really difficult, right? So uh, a lot of those coaches can't help prepare that young man for the difficulties that they are getting ready to be subjected to. And, uh, and, and in fairness, a lot of the high school coaches can't either. But uh, it, there's a disconnect, and I think the disconnect comes from, again, not every AAU program, but a lot of the AAU coaches wanting to inject themselves uh, as part of the equation, as a variable in the equation, and they should not inject themselves as a variable in the equation, but more so helping lead and navigate the prospect in this family through the process so that that prospect is able to make a, a sound decision. But it's not ideal, uh, not only here in South Carolina, but it's not ideal across the country. Gary, you're an incredible ambassador for the game of basketball, ambassador for Columbia. Um, I've seen quotes from, from, from our mayor, Steve Benjamin, just saying incredible things about you as a person and all the things that you mean to Columbia at large. And, and, and again, Columbia basketball as well. So as we're beginning to wrap up here, we, you know, we, we mentioned before we have a lot of listeners from all over the country, really all over the world now. Give your, your couple-of-minute elevator pitch for Columbia basketball and the future of Columbia basketball and even all the great things that Frank Martin's doing, Final Four, everything that's been happening, just just to, to tell everybody again why they should come to Columbia and watch some basketball. Well, I, I think Columbia has shown to um, be a destination for basketball, even with uh, the event that you're heading, the Bojangles Bash, uh, the Bojangles Bash uh, uh, now known as the Bash, the Chick-fil-A Classic. Uh, those two events in itself have become destination basketball tournaments, and they all are being held in Columbia. And anytime coaches across the country uh, make Columbia a destination, I think it speaks to the talent that we have here in Columbia. And, you know, for me, with trying to be an ambassador, uh, I know what basketball did for me. And just trying to use that platform and the relationships to um, – to showcase our talent, to showcase our statewide talent, showcase our local talent. So that unlike, and as much as I appreciate uh, your event, the bash, as much as I appreciate the Chick-fil-A classic, you know, oftentimes, you know, even though our local kids uh, become a part of the big show, but oftentimes the excitement is generated from the teams that come from out of state, that come from different parts of the country. Well, what I've tried to do is I've tried to narrow that focus on our kids here that are local, our kids that are that are statewide by trying to create a, a platform as big as the Bojangles Bash, as big as uh, the uh, as the Chick-fil-A. And uh, we found a way to do just uh, do just that. But uh, because of the job that you guys have done, uh, because of what we've been able to see, you know, going back to Frank Martin, you know, get to the final four. The one thing that Frank Martin has got uh, gotten beaten up on uh, was this inability to. Uh, attract a lot of the in-state talent. And the one thing that I will say to that, and uh, yes, he missed out on some and he lost the battle with some of them. 
but the one thing that I like to say or the one example that I like to use to kind of dispel that notion just a little bit, uh, there were two guys that could have gone anywhere in the country. Um, Sindarius Thornwell uh, was a top 30, top 35 kid. P.J. Dozier was a McDonald's All-American. Uh, those guys could have gone anywhere in the country. Um, they defied the myth. And they said, well, you know what? We're going to go to South Carolina. Not only did they go to South Carolina, but they led their team to a Final Four. Not only did they lead their team to a Final Four, they both are now in the NBA with NBA contracts. So I say that to say that maybe it's not all bad playing for Frank Martin. <laughs> you know, because there's a, there's a proven track record that when you buy in, and I'm talking about the in-state kids, uh, that when you buy in and you, uh, you, begin, you get beyond the surface of what you see or what you hear and you get to uh, trust in him and trust the system, then, you know, maybe there is some good because we have two recent examples of guys that came from South Carolina that are now um, part of the show in the NBA, P.J. Dozis and Darius Thornwell. All right, Captain, I'm going to end this with a fun question, a little bit different, but and I don't care that it's a little uh, behind-the-scenes talk. People that have listened to many episodes of this podcast know when we have South Carolina Gamecocks on, we often find ourselves talking about the legendary Mac Cradell. <laughs> so I am going to need a quick, funny Macradell story. Just anyone you can think of, because I know you have a thousand of them, because I've seen him corner you in my life before. <laughs> yes, I do have and one quickly comes to mind. Uh, uh, Mac, as we know, Mac was very, very territorial with the equipment and, and, and the gear. Uh, Mac acted as if the gear was his. And <laughs> Uh, let's just say I, I played with a couple of guys that, that were um, that kind of beat to their own drummer that were a little bit wild. Uh, one was from Miami. One was from New York well, Connecticut. And uh, one particular day, we were just so frustrated with Mac not giving up the gear. Um, after practice, uh, we decided that we were going to tie Mac up. You know, he's a small guy. And so about five or six of us and I, I am so ashamed to even tell this story. Because I felt so bad for him afterwards. But we were so frustrated because he would not give up the gear. So we actually grabbed Mac and tied him up and we wrapped tape around him. <laughs> and we put him in a run, we put him up on a running shower. Oh. <laughs> so the shower was running and we tied Mac up and we laid him under the shower. And I am so ashamed to say that but that was our way of getting his attention letting him know that you got to give up some of that gear it's not your gear <laughs> well the statute of limitations has run out on that one so you're, you're good on that um and i know mac enough to know that he probably loved every minute of it and even though he might have been saying a few choice words with y'all but uh i'm sure i'm sure is uh that, that he loved the attention and, and loved you guys just like he loves all, all the guys that have come through uh Carrie, we, we could go on for hours with this. It just means we'll just have to have you back. And maybe the one day that we've been efforting Matt Cardell for months, months. So Matt Cardell, you heard it here again. We were going to get you on this podcast and maybe we'll have you back. Uh, but this has been, this has been a lot of fun, Carrie. Can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Hey, thank you guys awesome. so much. Uh, you guys are doing a wonderful thing. Anytime there's a platform to talk basketball, um, I, I'm always game. I always want to be a part of it. And I just ask you guys moving forward as you guys continue to make this an even bigger platform 
don't forget about the captain. Let me come along for a ride, please. <laughs> well, we we got you for sure, Gary. But uh, we will uh, we will cherish this one, and like I said, we'll have you back for sure. But let's go ahead and put a a button on this one for my co-host Chris De Blasio. I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Greatest Games.